0: Welcome to the Prepare to Win Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver. Here at Dane Lee, we're going to get into uh, kind of a QA and a episode of questions that came in. Um, so that's pretty much all we're going to do today is answer your questions. And, um, you know, we got some good ones. Um, I'm hoping that we start to get more of them. Um, I just actually said this to a client today. They were asking some very basic uh, questions through my DMs and stuff that they could easily Google and things. And I told them, like, if you're going to ask a basic question, ask something more advanced for the podcast so people can learn. Um, And that's what I'm finding is a lot of people out there uh, aren't asking, like, more advanced questions. And even other podcasts I listen to, I get it. We think we don't know. A lot but it seems like compared to other people we must because there's a lot of softball mm-hmm. questions getting thrown out to almost every podcast I listen to and I feel like a lot of people are regurgent or not regurgitating. they're answering the same repetitive questions over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, which is understandable when there's a lot of beginners and it's a growing sport but people also need to do their own research and start to learn a little bit for yourself um, and I'm not saying waste people's time, but like you're, you're asking questions that like you could easily just kind of hop on the Google and know for yourself. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, we'll start to get, uh, I think a couple today are pretty, pretty good. Um, but if you're going to ask questions and I think any podcast will say this, if you're going to ask questions, like, yes, we're here to answer questions, but try to actually critically think about it first. Um, don't ask something that like, you can easily just Google or look up for yourself real quick, and it's a one, you know, one or two word quick answer. So. Well, that was
1: kind of the reason we talked about like doing the one hundred ones. It's like, hey, let's make a video, yeah, in order to answer some of these really basic questions, like how do you set up for a squat? Yeah, like what's the entry level thing that someone would want to know mm-hmm. about where to put their feet going into this? What should it feel like when yeah. they uh, brace? That kind of yeah. stuff. So that we have a resource we can send to them. But once they've been doing it for, say, a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and they say, Hey, I've been following this video and I'm feeling this when it happens. What should I do? Yeah. Now you're starting to get into asking a question that the coach can be able to really help you with, as opposed to just kind of looking things up and getting lost in the weeds in Google, like you were saying.
0: Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people, um, you know, like I said, when I talk to people, most of the lifters that I know, they, I not say we all know the same things, but it's like, you got, you heard it or you've done it or you know mm-hmm. and you can tell like in your squat or in your deadlift or in this you can almost pick apart yourself and know like what happened mm-hmm. um and i'm talking like the lifters like that are on that higher level and I, maybe it comes with time i don't know i'm i i keep trying to figure it out cuz i'll get questions <laughs> that like i you know that we all fi- we had to figure it out on our own and we figured it out in the first like 6 months to year of powerlifting i got people that are 45 years in asking me a question that I'm like, you still kind of don't understand that. I'm Mm -hmm. not really sure. But anyway, let's get into some questions.
1: All right. First question. How often should you get a massage during the CrossFit open? Um, This was not coming from a high level CrossFit athlete. So Mm -hmm. it's not as if we're taking any of that
0: into account as we're going through, but still important. Um, Did they say like what? type of massage i mean or they they just in general
1: in general said massage so i'll end up clarifying going through because when i answered it on instagram i said ideally like if you weren't worried about time or money i would like to work on somebody at the amateur or like hobbyist level like twice a week Mm -hmm. i'd want to work on them let's say the workout comes out what thursday
0: i believe it's thursday night yeah
1: so they do it let's say once or maybe even they get a second shot at it i want to see them monday on the, like the first day that it's closed and they're not going to do it anymore so i can do a flush i want to yeah. help take care of their system whatever that looks like you might not have a lot of muscle damage you might not have a lot of inflammation necessarily but you could have a lot of neurological fatigue mm-hmm. from what it was it because they just throw out really anything
0: yeah like especially a lot of times people are running the workout twice mm-hmm. a lot of people end up doing that
1: you can have some movements in there that you haven't done for a while. You could have some volume for movements that you haven't done. So you could have inflammation in the joints, irritation. Um, so I want a chance to be able to work on that without worrying about what's coming for a couple of days afterward. That one's really important. And then the second one that I would like to be able to do is a day of therapeutic work, like the day before it comes out. So maybe on Thursday. No, because you don't know necessarily what the workout is. And even better would be if they got worked on, say, Friday after you found out what it is, but you're not going to do the workout until like Saturday or Sunday. So I've got an opportunity to see what you're really going to need to utilize, know what it is that has to be worked on for you as an individual, kind of mold those two together and get a therapeutic session that isn't going to fatigue you too much. Like I don't want to do mm-hmm. deep tissue. I don't want to go heavy on certain things on that session, say Friday, Yeah. but I can prep your body uh, so that you're moving better and you're in a better state to take advantage of whatever that workout is like that would be my ideal.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it depends on what, what structure they're going to take to because a lot of people, some are running gun. I'm doing it Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Here we go, and then they'll do it again on like Saturday or Sunday. Mm-hmm. um Sometimes push to Monday, or you got the people that will game plan to maybe run it Friday or Saturday, um, depending on what it is. If it's like a one and done, they might do it on Saturday mm-hmm. um, or Friday night and just be done with it. And that kind of leaves them some room that if something went haywire, they can maybe run it again Monday, but. Right. Um, you know, it all depends on each individual there. So, All
1: right, next one. Best bang for your buck mobility. Um,
0: are, are they talking like a tool?
1: I I had two questions, uh, actually, including the, the CrossFit one with the massage. Things weren't super specific, so I kind of decided how I wanted to answer these, put them in my own context. Um, but they didn't mention if it was a tool, if it was a stretch, if it was uh, the best...
0: Resource like, for, like it. for your, Yeah, for your time, kind of so, what to do.
1: So when I answered online, again, on Instagram, I went with it as if I were to try to improve my mobility as much as possible, just in general, what would I focus on and how often would I do it? Um, my first one go to is you see a chiropractor. Like That is the philosophy of their profession is like they're going to help to mobilize the areas that are restricted for one mm-hmm. reason or another. Um, what's even great about that? It's fast. You could go do it once or twice a month. You know, once a month if you just want to do maintenance, mm. and you're not responsible for doing anything. You just lay there. Yeah, ta-da! Great. Yeah. That's a wonderful bang for your buck. Um, the other one I really like. If you were to think of mobility in terms of uh, like strength deficits on like one side or the other, eccentrics are fantastic. Mm-hmm. As you're going through it that being said, obviously you'd want to have a conversation. If you have a strength coach on where that would fit in, how often to do it, would that mess up programming? Would you have to hold off on doing that until a certain time? Like there's a whole conversation that goes with that, but eccentrics mm-hmm. for the, like a lightweight eccentric for the purpose of increasing range of motion. Yeah. Very helpful. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is the two areas that people are most restricted that I see when it comes to, you know, barbell sports, T spine ankles, yeah. like help, Work on those. If you're only going to pick two parts of the body that you really want to increase mobility to see big bang for your buck, mm-hmm. those are your two.
0: One thing um, I'll say: let's let's go from like a more of a, a warm up standpoint. Is just mm-hmm. your warm up. Yeah, you'd be amazed how many people I will see come in and within you know two minutes they're under the bar, and that's what they do. They and I understand some people can do that, but it's probably I don't give a shit how well you move. It's probably not the smartest thing just to go straight under the mm-hmm. bar. And that's your movement and everything. Now, I'm not saying your warm-up should take you 20 minutes. It shouldn't at all. Right. But like there are certain movements and ranges of motion and um, exercises that you can do to get warmed up that n- not only may act as like correctives, but primers, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so if you're talking like bang for your buck, time, cons- you're already here to work out anyway. Yeah. So spend five minutes, move through those ranges of motion, um, and then start you know getting into your workout getting into your actual mm-hmm. warm up that way um, so as far as like time consuming bang for your buck i would say that and then you know at night for for me it's hitting my problem areas um, and it might only take me 5 to 10 minutes right. if that's why I'm you know, relaxing or getting ready for bed or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times, like, I'll hit the quads, you know, stretching those out. I'll hit the hips, definitely. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple different ranges of motion there, opening up the hips. Um, And then my shoulders. So boom, 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 boom. Might be four or five different things, and that's it. Mm -hmm. The next night, I might add in one or two things, take out one or two things. Um, So I try to move through, you know, four or five, six different movements each night um again it what's that take you five ten minutes if that depends depends how long you really want to focus on it um and you can even do that multiple times a day like so Mm -hmm. um again it just depends what phase i'm in what's kind of going on but i might do uh different shoulder openers a couple times a day Mm -hmm. you know for me i don't want that issue of not being able to turn over my underhand on my deadlift again so i'm uh turning over my hand and stretching out the forearm and everything to stretch you out the bicep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll do that a couple times a day, you know? So and I do it for both arms. Don't just do it to your underhand. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so for time management, there's a couple. Mm-hmm.
1: There was a interesting thing that I saw where they talked about this concept called interoception. So proprioception being one of the senses where you have awareness of where your body is in space, mm-hmm. but interoception being your awareness of what's going on internally so like you were saying, like throughout the day, if you're someone who is aware of the times when you oh, I feel tight, I mm-hmm. feel stiff. I feel like I've been sitting for a long time and things just need to move. You can use that as your cue to like get up and move and stretch and, you know, do whatever it is. But there's all kinds of different things that are out there strategies where it's like every time you walk through a door, take a second, stretch out your peck, mm-hmm. like having that external cue going on, or you set a timer on your phone where it's like, Hey, it's been 30 minutes. I'm going to get up and move a little mm-hmm. bit. So you can build those having a nightly routine. Those are fantastic and they build up. I mean, if you have, like you were saying, a five minute routine that you do at night, that adds up to a lot of extra help, Mm -hmm. you know, by the end of the week or the end of the month. Yeah. All right. Number three, minimum, this is another one where they weren't too effective with it, but minimum effective dose of recovery for powerlifting. So when I looked at it and thought, for the powerlifters that I work with, who are the people that I could give like one or two things to that mm-hmm. would need me less. Yeah. It's like one, you need better technique. Mm-hmm. Like the worse your technique is the less that I can actually help you. Cause it's, it's a sinking ship and I've got a bucket at that point. Yeah. Um, and then the other one comes back to mobility because like you were saying, you can use mobility. If you've got needs for it, any part of the body, you can make it a warm-up or a cool down or uh, an active recovery day, a nighttime routine, you can fill it in anywhere. It's super versatile on how you use that. And the people who have greater mobility within a range, obviously, like a Mm -hmm. certain spectrum, again, you're not fighting a losing battle. Like if you've got somebody who's got terrible T-spine mobility and they're trying to squat and like they're just falling over as they're going through because they can't keep their chest up in the right position, it starts having this cascading effects on other parts of the body. And now you're not only trying to help them with their mobility, you're also trying to take care of all the damage that there is occurring in other areas and the trauma that's happening. Mm-hmm. And you're fighting like a two front war when you're doing that. Whereas if you've got a mobility practice, you're having to put less and less time and energy into the recovery of those other areas on the body. Cause they're taking less trauma. Yeah. So like immediately go get a coach, mm-hmm. get on, work on the technique, how, how, often would you want to coach? I mean, you'll be able to answer that better than I was, but my response was how often do you do the big lifts? Mm-hmm. Every time that you do a big lift, you would want a coach watching that, whether mm-hmm. it's a video or in person, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Um, and then the mobility aspect, do it four times
0: a week. Yeah.
1: Like at a, as a minimum.
0: Well, it's and like you said, it's, uh, I, I can think of a lifter. Um, I just took on last week. Um, So it was kind of the classic thing of like in her sumo deadlift, she's way out over the bar, the butts kind of high up. She's not wedged in, right. She's not anchoring, right. She's not. So like that wedge in and that anchoring down on the bar isn't there. Mm -hmm. So what she's automatically doing is her hip is way up and her head's kind of forward and down. So her, her, um, you know, people can't see us on video, but like, (laughs) or on the podcast, but like, um, she ends up just kind of rising together, and then shoots her hips through. Yeah. So automatically, like, okay, we're putting pressure into the low back. Mm-hmm. You don't. Do you have good extension? I'm sure she actually does. She just doesn't know how to utilize it yet. Yeah. Um, and not to mention, like, the head being in the position it is. Okay, now we're going to have, you know, C spine issues or something like that. Mm. Um. Are those issues there? We'll we'll see. You know, it was like kind of the first video that I saw. And I'm like, okay, we need to correct that yeah. real quick. Um, but it's like. How much better is her recovery gonna be simply because of those couple fixes on her technique? Mm-hmm. You know, so um I think that's one of the most vital things. Like if you are someone that wants that minimum effective dose or not to spend an overabundance of time on your recovery stuff or just not be injured, mm-hmm. you know, um the technique's gonna have to improve. you the better you move, the less likely it is. That you get injured or need more time devoted to recovery in the sense of like, now I have issues that need help to be repaired, you know, so.
1: And it's a non-traditional answer based on what we've talked about before, where normally the the big two that I push, like you need sleep and nutrition. Mm -hmm. You can't out sleep. An injury that you give yourself because of bad technique. Yeah, you're like no amount of nutrition is going to fix the fact that you're just moving really badly. Yeah. Um, is it going to help prevent a worse injury because you're well fueled and like you've got the resources? You know, maybe because you have better tissue health. But a hurt back is a hurt back because you put yourself in a terrible position and tried to lift more than you should. There. Yeah. So. Yep. All right. Uh, number four. Thoughts on calf training for weightlifters uh that one (laughs) are we we going on a stage oh man so i the guy who wrote this one in is uh a serious weightlifting athlete and so i took it seriously when he did it and tried to think of a way where it would be applicable um so as opposed to just like doing calf raises for the sake of aesthetics uh, or any kind of strength if you were to have someone who has, uh, say, Achilles issues, or they start to get some kind of like plantar fasciitis issue, um, or like a calf strain, especially that rear foot in a split jerk, mm-hmm. like you're coming down with some serious force that's going to be spread out, mm-hmm. you know, through that area. Yeah. So if you were to talk about calf training as prehab, all right, that makes sense. If you, because you're not probably going to be able to give it. Volume in a way that is meaningful beyond what it's already getting during training. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of force that is being applied, you know, both concentrically and eccentrically, you know, during weightlifting, it's huge. Yeah. Um, especially like receiving that bar in yeah. the different positions, it's enormous. Yeah. Um, like, regardless of your level, yeah. but just the act of absorbing in something like that is two to three times your body weight. With nothing on the bar Hmm. so you start putting kilos on the bar and it only becomes that much more exaggerated so if you were to do something for the sake of prehab and you're doing it you know a couple times a week yeah you know that makes sense if you have an imbalance where you have a previous injury and you've got one side that uh is getting aggravated because it can't keep up okay yeah that would make sense as well but those are the scenarios that i came up with where it makes sense yeah that
0: i mean <laughs> I, I i can't really say um that there's a reason to focus on them for aesthetics <laughs> yeah. and weightlifting um so i yeah i agree with uh, with that there and the thing is like when they're when they're reaching that final extension anyway like you're using that you know there also so mm-hmm. it's like you're still getting extension there um i you know, I guess if you wanted to do a couple extra things, like you could do a couple sets of calf raises. It isn't going to kill you. It's not going to hinder you in any way. But um, yeah, that's a, that's probably one of the most odd questions mm-hmm. I've ever heard in weightlifting. So I don't think,
1: because I was looking up some information where they talked about how certain joints were involved in both the extension mm-hmm. and the flexion phase, and like yeah. it, it shivers between the hip knee and the ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, in the process, there was also they talked about the fiber types between like the soleus and the gastroc, mm-hmm. and how those are different. Um, they recover differently. They fire at different rates. Yeah, but I don't know. How much of a performance increase you might see if you were to say like I'm going to do calf training in addition to Uh, doing like the RDLs and the squats and anything like that.
0: Use the the big muscles, not the small ones. So
1: they're assisting; they're not primary movers. Yeah. Um, but because I was looking at the fiber types, it could like if you had somebody who was like, "Well, I'm going to make sure that I get as much volume on my calves as I am on like the big movers." I could see it very easily starting to happen where you overtrain that and start having issues yeah. that you instigate. Yeah. So, you want to be careful.
0: Calf strain, and then you can't, can't. get into like a front squat position, right. even. Yeah. So, all right. Last one uh,
1: Where do you find ice baths to be useful, if at all? And I've talked about it in the past. Yeah. I think we've covered this one yeah. a couple times. Yeah. And since then, I keep seeing more and more research that comes out showing that there's really not much effectiveness for using an ice bath in controlling DOMs compared to active recovery as far as just like general movement versus massage versus heat. like if you were to do a hot bath, same. Mm. Um, in fact, there's information that shows that if you were to do an ice bath within a certain window of time post workout that you can actually diminish some of the returns mm. like of that workout because the body, wants or i shouldn't say wants but needs to have that inflammation in there as a trigger for some of the processes that have to happen next Mm -hmm. but if you were to do a nice bath for different reasons it can be really effective Mm -hmm. like we talked about like doms is a terrible
0: measurement for things for recovery let's take a step further what about um because this is kind of big You'll see it in collegiate sports a lot, and a lot of times those guys are running like two a day workouts or something like that. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's effective? Let's say they have a morning workout, they hop in an ice bath because they have to be back for a secondary training at night. You know what I mean? So, um, and that may be happening four or five, t- four or five days a week, where they're running kind of a two a day, you know, workout routine. Maybe they're they're practicing in the morning, they're lifting at night, or vice versa. You know.
1: I think if you were to run it as part of a protocol where you said you're going to do like contrast baths, Mm -hmm. so, you know, being the ice bath, and I see them do ladders a lot where it's like three minutes cold, three minutes hot, two minutes cold, two minutes hot, and like you keep working your way down. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen some other ones where it's just constant. It's like, you know, two minutes, what, two minutes, like just back and forth. You would get some fantastic passive flushing from that, which could be really helpful, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're doing two days um, because you're... You know causing a lot of constriction when you're going into the ice bath and then opening up you know vasodilation when you're going into the the warm bath uh, or just heat in general yeah. um, the pressure of the ice bath also has a nice effect for some of that constriction and like lymphatic flushing effect that can happen it's not as much as movement but it's there. So if you were to use it as part of a pro not on its own, but as part of a protocol on a two-a-day, that would make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it would be the most effective, but if you had it available and you wanted to include it, yeah. yeah. But solely, I think in that case, you're going to get more of an analgesic effect of the like the fatigue and the strain of doing two-a-days than you are any true recovery benefit
0: mm-hmm. in that case. I did have one on uh, bench press setup and the person was having trouble like basically trying to find tightness so there's there's two ways to set up your bench press setup all right it's either going to be from the top down or bottom up you know meaning like you're going to either set your back in first and then set your feet or you're going to set your feet in first and you're going to set your back what happens is a lot of people don't understand tightness and don't understand they're not aware with their body so what i see a lot of people do in this person in particular is like they were setting up their lower half um by just putting their feet down and Mm -hmm. tucking them back and then they were just kind of plopping their butt down and then just laying on their back and they thought okay now i'm tight no like whenever you set up and you know you have let's say you're a toes up bencher and you sit your toes down in and um you need to like Squeeze your glutes together and sit those on the bench. And then from there, you need to basically think about touching your lat to your hip and setting your shoulders as low down towards your butt as possible without without increasing too much pressure into the low back.
1: Mm-hmm. You're
0: going to feel some. Like unless you're a hyperflexible person, you're, you're going to feel some, no doubt. Um, but when you set that up, what a lot of people do, like I said, they just, when you're setting your, your butt flat, well, there you just turned off the tension through the glute and through the hamstring, through the ITs. Like you have some in your quads a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, just because you're flexed back, but, um, then they lay their top half essentially flat. Well, you just broke the chain. There's no tightness up top. Mm -hmm. So we can get into some other things about like retracting and, um, um, you know everything with your back and bring in basically what I tell people. This is how I coach you, If you don't like it, then whatever. Um, I teach people when they're setting up their back to pull everything inward and squeeze inward as if they were trying to bring it all to the middle of the spine. And then you set that down on okay. the bench. All right. Now we're doing it all at once. So you're squeezing everything in towards the spine, you're bringing your lats down to your hips, and then you're sitting down onto your traps essentially okay okay so I'm kind of going through it as yeah you're talking. I, i'm i probably end up making a video on this at some point if you look up like the way i teach benches pretty much like if you watch any like swede burns videos on, on okay. setting up in the bench press a, a lot of those are kind of similar to how i'll teach it too um it varies from person to person you have to be able to find what's best for them but um you know th- but that's in that question that's why a lot of people have that trouble is you're not finding enough te- uh, enough tension and enough strain in there. Mm-hmm. You're setting up to be more comfortable rather than – I'm not saying it should be like ungodly, uncomfortable, and, oh, my God, I'm in pain. But you should feel pressure when you set up in a bench press. Mm-hmm. It's just like sitting in the bottom of a squat. If you're in the bottom of a pause squat and you feel no pressure, then that's – that, then you're weird <laughs> you know I mean? there's <laughs> something's not active yeah something's not active there but um th- that's kind of how it should feel like that's why if you watch like the best adventures they're set up extremely tight you mm-hmm. know even the people that may not look like it because they're uh, not tucked and their feet are flared out and stuff i promise you like they're still set up with a lot of tension like mm-hmm. your body shouldn't be able to really shift either way you shouldn't be able to like just push and all of a sudden push yourself out of that position, if that makes sense. Yeah. You should yes. be locked down and pinned down hard. And, you know, we can get into the whole thing like before you unrack, like you're essentially, when you reach up for that bar, you're pushing yourself already. I'm getting away from the mic as I'm showing this. <laughs> but you're pushing yourself already. Down into the bench, driving through those traps, down through the bench into the floor, essentially, is what you're trying mm-hmm. to think about. So you should already be in that position of tightness, and that's why it's good to get, you know, that hand off. Um, because you're so tight that, like, trying to lift that off should feel fucking weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not to say you can't do it. If You know, there's methods to self... Uh, to self-handy and all that stuff we're not going to get into that deep because people need to first get the basic concept of setting up in the bench press down so this is something when you mentioned awareness of tension like
1: people just don't have that awareness Mm
0: -hmm.
1: many people um, are able to create positions yeah but they don't know what it feels like (laughs) to use muscles in a way to create that position and uh, I know that we've talked about this with Dan quite a bit where looking at somebody like, oh, they're not, they're not mobile enough no. to be in a good front squat position. And he'll say like, well, if I just, if I give them a cue or if I help them to feel what it's like to really use the upper back to lift the chest, get themselves into a proper, you know, front squat position, suddenly they're mobile. Yeah. And it's like, the verbiage is wrong. It's like, are they mobile enough to do it? Yes. They don't have the proprioception. They don't have the body awareness to know what it feels like. And then once they learn what that tension is, then suddenly they're able to reproduce it. It's this, you know, aha moment. Mm -hmm. And similar to what you're talking about with the bench, it's like help getting that person to realize what creating tension is really like, because as far as they know, they're tense. You know, they have their body nice and tight, and you're watching it, going, no, like I I know what your muscles should be able to do, and mm-hmm. like it's not happening. Yeah, and helping them with that proprioception, it, I mean, it's a literal light switch. Yeah, once they feel. Well, it's
0: it. it's kind of funny when I'll work with people in person, and they'll set up for the bench press, and then I teach them, you know, okay, no, I'm going to kind of push you a little mm-hmm. bit or tell you when. And the best thing is like, you know, if if people allow it is. I I have them kind of set up their low half, and then like I will take and I'll put my hand under their upper back and on their shoulder, and I will angle them and pin them where they should be. Mm -hmm. And you should every time their face lights up, like because they feel the pressure of that, and they feel how tight it is, and then their bench flies. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll take the same weight again, and the bench will start moving. It's like just that little change there created that tension for you to be able to utilize everything in conjunction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So whenever you have loose uh, musculature through the chain, you don't get as much activation. Right. It's simple. Um, so anyway, on to the next one. I'll probably end up making a video on it. I thought I made one before, but apparently I didn't. So I'll make one at some point. Um, hey, by mechanics.
1: Yeah.
0: That's, that's the other thing. Is like when you set these lifts up, you have to think like you're building a structure. You have to be, mm-hmm. you know, like you have to understand like the angles of everything. You have to understand like you don't build a house on t- sticks. You right. know what I mean? So, anyway, um, one of them was uh, how do you take anabolics in consideration with a diet? So, um, there's a couple different things. So, a lot of people will assume like. Instead of cleaning up their diet, they can just up the dose. Um, <laughs> it's not the best method. Don't Sorry, don't, I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, don't. Let's not do that. Um, so, what I take into consideration is a lot of times, depending, it depends on what they're taking. Um, but for most anabolics, and as you raise like testosterone levels and thing like things like that, like your metabolism is generally going to increase. There are some that make your hunger levels rise. Um, a lot quicker than others so you know it's common for people that are on like equipoise or uh, var or something to be extremely hungry um so i kind of you know try to take into consideration like what they're taking um and then w- from there what they're doing so you know if you're a powerlifter on drugs versus a bodybuilder on drugs versus a crossfitter on drugs versus Oh, CrossFitters take drugs? Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> anyway. but um, Now they're all natty. Yeah. Versus like, you know, an Iron Man on drugs. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's all different things. So you have to take that into consideration also. Um, but generally, like people that do take things, um, they are going to have one that increased metabolism. The thermogenic effect is probably going to go up as well. Mm-hmm. So that... It Again, burns more calories, so again, you do you need more food? Um, some of them are designed to limit like muscle wasting and stuff like that. So that, from kind of the reverse psychology of it all, I might take that into consideration. Like If you're on a drug that I know can retain muscle during a cut, mm-hmm. we may be able to be a little bit more aggressive with that cut, again, depending on what the goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, we may be, a, be able to be a little bit more aggressive, with the cut or less aggressive depending on how their body reacts but I know that muscle's retaining. Yeah. Um, so, there, there's a couple different factors. Um, I'll say like if you've seen a lot of the transformations that I, I've posted and stuff, I will tell you that very rarely are they on drugs. So, these transformations that you see people do, like, imagine if they were on drugs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, they'll trick you with that. Like, um, there's an idiot down the road that just posted one. It's this transformation of like this kid that was like twelve weeks and gained you know all this muscle. Kid was shredded and stuff, mm-hmm. but gained like something stupid, like fifteen pounds of muscle in twelve weeks. And like, Whoa. yeah, all <laughs> that nutrition. Yeah, no, the kid was clearly juiced up. You know what I mean? He clearly started a cycle, and that's one of my the things I get pissed about is like people use like they'll give their client or tell their client to take drugs and then they'll be like oh my god look how well i cut them over 12 weeks like no that's called a steroid cycle like they went on cycle they were off cycle and went on you didn't do anything you took some food away and you put them on drugs good job um so anyway not saying that drugs are like the miracle cure or anything but like you have to take everything you see with a grain of salt same as like <clears throat> you know to kind of go off a little bit here is like you watch some of the strength athletes like you can't assume that they're on drugs and you can't assume that they're not because i i can show you people that you would assume are not on drugs um mm-hmm. that do take drugs and they're only that strong for taking drugs mm-hmm. and whereas like i tell people this all the time i have a bunch of girls coming up right now that all total um And that 900 ish range, 900 or 1000, you know, they're approaching 1000. Um, maybe high eights for, for one or two of them. But anyway, um, there's a handful of them in that 148, 165 class that are totaling that much and they have never touched a drug in their life. And it's like when these girls decide to pop a little var or something, you'll, you're going to see a bunch of girls that I coach all totaling 1000, 1100. There's one or two of them that could probably total 1200 at 165 just Dang. just from that little kick you know what i mean taking so,
1: the time to build that foundation prior. yep yeah.
0: yep so that's uh something if we want to go on an anabolic rant but <laughs> um anyway back to the, the nutrition side of it
1: would that apply because you were talking about you have to take the sport into consideration you have to take what they're you know, using into consideration um would that apply if you were to work with, say, individual, I'm sorry, uh, middle-aged males who were on some kind of testosterone supplement? Mm -hmm. Would you still take that into consideration?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, because I've worked with them
1: too. It's not quite a PED as much as it is uh, getting back to kind of a baseline baseline and therapeutic.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that is something that is taken into account with them also. So anything that's going to... um. In- increase testosterone, increase better hormone production. Let's say that, mm-hmm. and kind of balance things out. Um, you know one one thing you have to be careful of um, is to think like it's a miracle and just jump their food. You know, cause some people do that. Like you'll see guys that hop on drugs maybe their first cycle it's not a lot of times it happens like bodybuilding Mm -hmm. first second cycle you know and they're just slamming food because they think like oh i can just eat anything and it's all about growing and then they get this like bloated kind of fat look and like Mm -hmm. they get their and sure they gain some muscle but they get their um they get their bod pods done or their dexes done and it's like you gained a lot of fat there. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or you can just tell them pictures. And, and, and that's because like, again, if you're ingesting, you know, the, the ideal range is like three to 500 extra calories a day to ideally build muscle and try to limit down the fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll, if you're trying to go like super bulk and stuff like that was kind of popular. Um, not all that long ago, 10, 15 years ago, it was like, Oh, just eat everything, take drugs, you know, bulk away, all that <laughs> shit. And it's like, you had a lot of fat, you know, for bodybuilding centers, fat bodybuilders walking around mm. because people were blasting drugs but then eating like shit and eating a thousand, two thousand calories above what they were supposed to. Whoa. And not understanding and and those it, two things. And again go. with proper like not the nutrition wasn't balanced proper either. So it's just wasteful food, mm-hmm. wasteful calories. So yeah. It's not it's not a miracle by any means, but yeah, there's there's other considerations um, to take an effect especially with like water things like that but I'm not gonna go too far into, into that rabbit hole of drugs but just, um,
1: out of curiosity how long ballparking should it take someone to put on 15 pounds of muscle let's say I mean, that guy at his age
0: like if you can put on like a pound two pounds three pounds like in a year, is good for like a natural person when you're taking drugs if you can put on four or five pounds in a year that's pretty pretty like actual muscle mm-hmm. like we get our test done and you put on four or five six pounds of actual muscle in a year that's pretty solid you know like if you can get up to like like 10 in a year is so to say 15 15 in is like three months <laughs> yeah i mean i'll give it to the i'll I'll give it to him like he he clearly was working hard i'm sure he was eating good but like at the same time like you take um like see it's hard because like this kid obviously wasn't anywhere near a pro level bodybuilder like pro level like i'm kind of at my peak people they might only put on a pound or two a year Mm -hmm. three maybe and like uh, with everything they're taking it takes a long time to build a pound of muscle it's not an overnight that thing. that yeah. Um, and I kind of, I'm willing to bet that that wasn't done with bod pod and everything. I'm willing to bet the kid just put on 15 pounds, which, okay. again, depending on what anabolic you're taking, seven of that might be water. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Couple might be fat and then a little bit of muscle. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the honest truth of it. Like, a lot of people, when they hop on anabolics, like, you can retain five, six pounds of water very easily. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think that was done by like, here, that's why we post, I try to post those things when I say stuff like that. When mm-hmm. I say this person put on X amount of muscle, it's because we got the bod pod tested. You can't sit there and say like, oh, this person put on 15 pounds of muscle without a bod pod or DEXA scan, because that is bullshit. Right. They put on 15 pounds of body weight, you know, and you might be able to sit there and say by the pictures, like... It was quality muscle, you know, or Mm -hmm. they gained and we stayed relatively lean. If you're too cheap or they're too lazy to go get those tests done, then you can say something like that. But don't try to, like, trick the world and say, yeah, I put on 15 pounds of muscle now. So that's the other thing with anabolics is the water. Um yeah, you know, I know we kind of touched on it here for a second, but like, for example, a lot of guys uh, when they take like tren or something will dry out, and that's why you see a lot of guys tear shit. And mm-hmm. powerlifting is they're jacked up on tren, um, which can dry out your muscles and dry out your joints and dry out those connective tissues. And I don't want to say there's like no amount of water to make it better, but there's it's hard. Yeah, it's very hard to stay uh, lubricated at that point. So, I think some of the worst tears
1: that I've seen—not like worked with, but mm-hmm. just watched happen—were from lifters who you found out afterward were running that, mm-hmm. and they're they're brutal. Like yeah. the adductor tears it was, that happen, some it was of the hamstring issues. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I it was interesting. Cool. I knew a, ki- a kid that a uh, kid. He's just younger than me, this guy. <laughs> but um, he tore his adductor and he tore his hamstring before, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't believe... I mean, he's had other minor injuries also, but those were like two big ones that happened during a prep phase. And um, when he went to a doctor that was like kind of familiar with it, mm-hmm. and the doctor asked him if he was running that. He was like, yeah. When when he, Since he stopped using that, compound all together. I don't think he's torn anything. I don't think he's been hurt. I don't think he's tweaked anything really. So like there might there might be something definitely to it. yeah it's again every there's outliers too because there's mm-hmm. people that blast trend and never have an issue at all. Never have an issue. So I think that's uh that's about it for today. So a couple of announcements with stuff with uh our signups that we're doing on the website, we're getting a lot of emails of people asking uh if you know, the registration went through, the payment went through all this stuff. Here's, here's some quick tips for you. When you submit your registration, it tells you it's submitted. If it says it's submitted, I promise you it's submitted Two. if you're Venmoing us money, you can go back in your Venmo. I, and I'm old as shit. And I know this, you can go <laughs> back in your Venmo and it will say that you sent that person money. Like it's not going to stay there if it wasn't sent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, PayPal, same thing. You kind of get a confirmation that money was sent. Um, not a hard thing to comprehend. So, and if you do pay for a meet, we're never gonna. If you can prove you paid for a meet, and for some reason you're not on the roster list, we're never gonna leave anyone out of a meet. So even if it was, you know, a couple weeks, you know, out, and we announced the current roster and. You're not on it. As long as you can prove and show you paid, and maybe when we go back and see you paid, you're going to be in the game. So mm-hmm. we're not going to leave people out. We run like legit business. So if you're if you're submitting things, it's going through. Let's put it that way. Um. Oh, Dan uh, said. I think he's. I don't know if he's got it registered yet. Uh, he is going to have another level one weightlifting course. Uh, so if you're interested in. Getting your level one in Olympic weightlifting. Uh, that will be June 5th and 6th. You might have to get, I'll have to talk to him, see if he wants to get maybe a link out there on social media or on our website. But, um, cause that's through the
1: USAW
0: yeah. website, right? Yeah. 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 You just go to the USAW website and sign up for it. So he always has a pretty good turnout, mm-hmm. um, even during the, the whole COVID times. So, um, I'm trying to think what else thought we had something else maybe coming up, but it's just so many people are competing. Feels yeah. It's like there's a lot going on right now.
1: There is people going through prep, people getting ready for competitions, both weightlifting, yeah.
0: powerlifting. Yeah. There's quite a bit going yeah. on. Yeah. We got, fuck. I think there's like 20 people competing from the gym in the next three months. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the whole gym's in prep, which is cool. A lot of people are, uh, okay, there's going to be some serious numbers. It's fun watching that because it's a very different
1: energy Mm -hmm. with the training. Not like better or anything like that. It's just different. Different, Yeah. Yeah. You watch people have like different focus when they're in because they've got Mm -hmm.
0: this uh, specific goal that's coming up on a time frame. Yeah. It's fun to watch. Yeah. It's different. Different emotions come out too, Mm -hmm. especially if they start to hit PRs or if they struggle or whatever. Um, So it's a whole different game when you get in prep. That part is
1: interesting watching the mental aspect of it when people start to struggle. Cause you start to see some true colors come out yeah, in those moments of, yeah. you know, how dedicated are they or how so serious do they take the it. things
0: that will test you? And especially if your prep isn't going good, having to keep the mindset that mm-hmm. it, it's going to, it's going to all come around. I started know,
1: so. uh, working with a lifter just last week doing recovery programming. Uh, and she came in and we, like, I've worked with her as a massage client before in the past, and she's been powerlifting for a number of years and she does well. But one of the things I explained to her with the recovery program, because she's doing a lot of things right already, is one of the benefits of this is that it's going to take a lot of pressure off your shoulders and understanding when things don't go well, because they're not always going to go well. Yeah. It's rare that you're going to have this incredibly smooth prep period. And she's getting ready for nationals coming up. Like things are going to go wrong. That's it's the nature of it. Like, there might be a little tweak that happens. You might have a period where, like, you just feel dead for like 10 days and you can't figure out what you're doing wrong. Like, that's why I'm there. Mm-hmm. And if you know that those things will likely happen, but you also know ahead of time that you've planned kind of by working with me to be able to figure it out. And then when they happen, if they do, you'll have a strategy to get through that. That really takes a lot of pressure off people. Yeah. Let them know that they've got that backup.
0: Yeah, good question today. Let's bring more in. We're starting to hopefully slowly get out of my DMs. <laughs> <Start to. laughs> there's there's more in my DMs. I'm just not going to go through and find them. Put them on the, the podcast link. Mm-hmm. It's when you DM me these, people DM me these things like five or six days before we record. And I forget that they're even in there. I mean, mm-hmm. they're buried in there somewhere. So yeah, if you're going to ask questions, put them in the podcast link. All right. Have a good one.